He was dead. Last week we talked about Jesus and his call. Who and what was Jesus in the core of his being? And, and, and so it, I, I looked at the passage and thought, this next part of Matthew's gospel is essentially part two of that. It's a bit more about what the core of what Jesus is really all, all about, not what we might think, but actually what he's really all about. So before we get into today's uh, section, let's recap. So we're building up towards the Beatitudes. That's where we're going. That's why we're looking at Matthew chapter 4 this week and the last two weeks, because we're building up to what happens at the beginning of chapter 5, which is that he's got crowds, and he tells them, well, let's all sit down for a minute. Uh, he sits down, I guess they sit down, and he teaches them, and he starts with the Beatitudes as the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, and so that's where we're going next Saturday. But this is the build-up to all of that. And what's been going on so far in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Matthew is that John the Baptist has heralded the Messiah, said Messiah is here. And then Jesus is baptized and he is approved in that the voice of God comes and says, this is my son whom I love with him, I am well pleased. So he's getting ready. And then last week, last week, two weeks ago, we talked about him being tested and he went into the wilderness rather like this, a photograph of the Jericho Road that Penny and I were on a year and a half ago, very similar kind of terrain, very uh, challenging to live out there for a day, let alone 40 days and nights. So he's tested. So all of this has been happening. All of this is preparation. We're still in, partly in preparation phase, but we're now also in action phase with Jesus. And last week we talked about Jesus at his core and two things we see earlier in chapter four, which is that he had a core message, which is good news. And secondly, that he had a method, which was to call people to come around him and walk with him, to be his followers, to be his disciples. So that's, that's where we are so far. Now, today, let's look at this passage, verse 23 to 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. That's what we're looking at today. Just, what, three verses? Uh -huh. Yeah, three verses. And we're going to look at two points about Jesus being the proclaimer and the healer and ask ourselves what that, that might mean for us. So, Jesus the proclaimer is where we're going to begin here. And where is he? So he's up here in, in Capernaum is where we found him uh, recently. He's up at the north end of the, uh, the Lake of Galilee. He's been in Nazareth, and people are coming to him from all over Syria, which is off the map. So Syria is sort of basically north. You can define Syria in slightly different ways, depending on the precise period. But nonetheless, Syria is effectively the area north of here. The Decapolis is this area to this side of the Jordan River, uh, which is a largely Gentile-influenced area. Ten cities, that's why it's the Decapolis. Transjordan, this is the area across the Jordan where the half-tribes settled before going, uh, when the, the Israelites went into the Promised Land. 
and this is the area this side, so that's east of the Jordan River, a little further south than the Decapolis. Jerusalem is mentioned, that's over here. And Judea is just generally this area on the west side of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. So basically, and this is a huge area. I mean, the, 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 uh, Capernaum or Nazareth down to Jerusalem is 80 to 100 miles, I think. So you're talking about enormous area, plus Syria, which is further north, and is colossal. I mean, bigger than this area on the map. People are coming to him from everywhere. And, and this is in the days of you, you, you couldn't send out a Facebook post saying, you know, Jesus will be here at this time. Come and see him now if you like. You know, there's no Facebook Live. Just, I mean, the, so it is astonishing his influence at so quick, spread so quickly at a time when it was challenging for that good news to spread. And this tells us something about the nature of the good news, how amazingly awesome the good news must have been. And it tells us something of the power and nature of Jesus Christ, that his notoriety would spread so fast and attract so many people. So, I mean, it's quite something, isn't it, when you think about it. And this is important for us to remember on lots of levels. But one thing I want to say to, to myself and to all of us that believe in Jesus is that we must not ever take him for granted. He's not like anybody else. He's not like any other person in human history. He's astonishing. And we follow him as disciples, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because he is amazing. Who else would I rather follow? I mean, there's nobody like him. So that's part of what we're dealing with today. What does he do um, in this passage? First of all, he is teaching in the synagogues. I showed this picture last week, the synagogue in Capernaum, where he was based, where Penny and I visited a year or so ago. So that's exactly where he was. He was preaching in, uh, he was teaching in that synagogue. So it says he was teaching in the synagogues. So he was moving around from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, um, taking the opportunity to teach. And in those days, if you were a rabbi and you turned up on the Sabbath, you would be invited to expound from the scriptures, uh, which Jesus did and got him into trouble because often he, he would say, well, you know, this is actually about me. And uh, when you're reading Isaiah the scroll and someone says it's about me, um, it's not surprising people didn't uh, take too kindly to that because they thought he was being heretical and felt they had the right to stone him. Anyway, so he's teaching in the synagogues and he's proclaiming. The proclaiming of the good news is probably referring to outdoors proclamation rather than indoors. So the teaching in the synagogues. So he's doing his teaching in the formal setting, but he's also proclaiming in the less formal, informal setting of out and about. So uh, where are we now? Oh, we'll come to that in a moment. So this, this is what is, uh, is going on. Some of what we do as Christians is in a formal setting. Sometimes you have a conversation with someone because they have a faith, and it's, or perhaps we're in this setting here, or Wednesday nights when the men meet together or the women meet together. There's some times we do that. But a lot of what Jesus did was not in the formal settings. It was as he walked as he bumped into people, as people came to him, he had an answer to their questions, or more often, he had a question to ask them about their question and engage them in discussion and debate. And it tells us something about, about what normal Christianity is meant to be like, that it's about us noticing things, noticing people, engaging with people, taking opportunities. Uh, I was in the Harvester uh, in Croxley, Two weeks ago, I had uh, lunch with Ben Dannett, who's preached here. 
And uh, he came up from um, Hampshire, I think, somewhere, and uh, to spend uh, three hours with me. We had a lovely time over a long lunch. And uh, I, I was looking forward to that, and that was nice. And we, I said, I'll meet you there. So we met at the Harvester, sat down, and uh, we had some things to talk about. So we engaged in conversation. The waitress came over. I was about to give my order. And uh, Ben says, hi, how are you? And the waitress was, I'm, I'm well, thank you very much. And uh, so have you worked here long? And he starts engaging in a conversation with the waitress. And then she takes our order. She goes away. We're carrying on our conversation. She comes back. Ben in, you know, interrupts our conversation, says to her, so where are you from? You've got an inter interesting accent. She says, well, I'm Croatian. Oh, that's interesting. I've never been to Croatia. What's it like? And so a bit more conversation. She goes away, comes back for something else to refill a cup or something. I don't know. A bit more of a conversation. What, and, and he says, oh, we're just, you know, it's my friend Malcolm. He's a minister in a local church here. And we're just having some good discussions about the Bible. And she says, oh, that's interesting. People don't have much faith today. And so Ben says, well, that's right. You know, it's, it's a sad thing. People don't really know the Bible. And she says, yeah, the youth of today, she's a little older, the youth of today uh, need to know more about God and the Bible. And so now we're beginning to have a spiritual conversation. And who knows where that will go? But isn't it a wonderful thing? You, you just, all it began with was Ben saying hello rather than blanking her just because she's the waitress. It was a good lesson for me because I can get into that. I'm here to spend time with Ben. Jesus wasn't like that, was he? At least most of the time, he was welcoming of interruptions. In fact, he interrupted people, they interrupted him, and it all worked. And therefore, the good news spread. See, the good news won't spread unless we're interruptible. And the good news won't spread unless when we notice the opportunities God gives us to spread the good news. And it doesn't mean that first conversation or the first few words are necessarily about God or the Bible or faith. But we begin somewhere to make the connection. And then that can come in. And I wonder, I think for myself about this, that, and I wonder how, for us, how, how often do we notice those opportunities and take them? Someone's sitting next to us. Someone's in a restaurant. Someone's passing by, you know, on the bus, yeah, on the bus, on the tube, wherever. And I would like to encourage us, if we want to imitate Jesus, to think about it. Just in the next week, pray about it. More pray about it than think about it, I think. Pray to notice when God has given you an opportunity. It's not about so much manufacturing them. That's okay, but it's not really about that. I think it's just about having that attitude. I want to have more of that attitude, so you can pray for me. But I think that's one of the things we see here is that Jesus is teaching, proclaiming. He's just getting on with it. And he's healing. I like what N.T. Wright says about this um, section here. God's kingdom, God's sovereign saving rule, was at last being unleashed upon Israel and, and the world through him, through Jesus. How could this not bring healing in its wake? You know, when the good news of God comes into the world, that it makes a huge difference, bringing healing. And the healings are in themselves a proclamation, as well as his teaching and preaching, you could say. And Jesus demonstrates power over every conceivable obstacle, spiritual, mental, and physical. And this authenticates his message. Uh, Isaiah was, as many well-known prophecies about the Messiah, and this was one that in Jesus' day was understood to be about the Messiah, that when Messiah came, that this is what he would be doing, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, be, the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue shout for joy, 
water will gush in the wilderness streams and the desert. They were looking forward to a time when the power of God would heal. And this is what we see here. This is what we see. Indeed, as we look at what happens with Jesus and around Jesus here, perhaps this phrase I like about this, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when Jesus takes over the world or when Jesus takes over your world. People are transformed. People are not made religious. People don't just pray a bit more. People don't just clean up their lives, don't get a, a higher moral standard to live by. People's lives are transformed. That's what happens. So we talked about Jesus in his proclaiming. Let's talk about Jesus the healer here. So his teaching and preaching and healing locally leads to a massive expansion of people coming from all the places we talked about earlier. Um, and isn't it interesting, I, rather, I mean, I love this, that good news brings people. Today, bad news brings attention in the media. I was listening to a journalist talk the other day about how every morning on the paper he used to work on, they'd meet at 7.30 in the morning with the editor, all the, all the different journalists, and they meet in the room, and, the, and the, the editor always had the same phrase every single morning. They'd meet, he'd come in, and he'd say, how can we scare people today? What stories have you got that will scare people? Because scare stories sell. But here we see good news. Good news is bringing people to the crowds from all over the place, which is a much better thing, in my opinion. News spreads. He was moving to the people. Now the people are moving towards him. And it looks like because of the areas mentioned like Syria and Decapolis, it looks like it's not only Jewish people, it's Gentiles coming. So he's drawing all kinds of people to him right now. It's... Arabs, um, I guess in the way that we would think of Arabs today, yes. Probably not in the way that, not sure that term was in use at that time. Arabia, I don't know. But people that I think we would now think of as Arabs would have been coming, I think, yes. Yes, so all around that Middle Eastern area, a big area. And, uh, and so these people come. So, Here's a question for discussion. We're going to break into some groups for discussion for a bit here. What I would like to ask you is, as all these people are coming to Jesus, in what way do we bring healing to people today? All right. So I'm not going to deal with the today in this lesson the miraculous powers that Jesus had and whether they're available to us. Maybe, maybe not. But I think that we've got to extend it to more than just, if you like, the miraculous healing because in the New Testament, not all the followers of Jesus had that power and ability anyway. So it's, it can't just be that we're meant to have those powers, though maybe we are in some way. But, but there, was, there are other kinds of healing, not only just miraculous healings. There's, there's other kinds. So I'd like us to think a bit about this today. As, as God gives us opportunity to get to know people, what kind of healing are we able to bring? And in what way can we do that? So it's about the opportunities and it's about the methods for healing that we might have available to us to help people today. So can we discuss that in small groups, just turn around and talk to a couple of people and then we'll I'll come back in, um, let's say four minutes. Who's got an idea or a, a thought? Sagi. Right. Practice of Christianity is like a slight difference. The difference between that and just being religious is being open and vulnerable. Mm. And 
and that is more likely going to make people also open up, and that's when the real relationships can start. Mm. That's where the healing mm. comes. Vulnerability, personal vulnerability. Yeah, the difference between religiousness and true discipleship, difference between hypocrisy, hypocritical kind of religion and true discipleship, yeah. And blessed are the, blessed, I think I always think of that, I think of blessed are the meek in the Beatitudes, because that's a, it's not about weakness, but it's about a, a kind of a, an honesty, I think a, some kind of humble honesty connected with being meek. Excellent, thank you, that's vital, isn't it? Great. I don't like it, but it's really important. Because I don't like being vulnerable, but you know, it's, it's really important. Thank you, good. Healing can come through that, yes, for people. Uh, other thoughts? Um, Simon? Um, showing some sincerity and loving people. And, uh, mm. um, helping ourselves to be loved. Listening. It's a really good point. Can I just key off that point? No, key off that point, or generally to ask the group here, why is listening so important as part of healing? What's, what's the, yeah? You know? It's good to get something off your chest. Okay, it's healthy to get something off your chest. Yeah. Even if it's sad or depressing, yeah. it helps to actually get it out there. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah, Chantal. Because I think for myself and everyone as human beings, we really want to feel like we're heard and our voices are valued and we share. Yes. And so when you're talking to someone and you feel like the connection being made with, they understand what you're saying and they empathize without saying anything, it's very special. Mm. It's, it's a sign of love, isn't it? Yeah, Leon. This is actually quite rare. It's rare. <laughs> Proper listening. It's a rare thing. So therefore it stands out. Hmm. Stefan. Good listening creates a safe space for someone to feel like they're safe to progress and share it all. And what's the difference between listening and hearing? If, if I can be sem semantic a little bit. Uh, yeah? Uh, well, hearing is... Okay, I heard you, but I still have my opinions about rather than listening is, okay, empty your head, look at the person, pay all the attention possible, and that would be uh, a difference, I would say. Big difference. Patricia, did you have your hand up? No, I think listening, active listening, it takes a lot out of you, actually. If you did properly, ah. it really does. You really have to key in with what you're saying, they're saying, mm -hmm. um, and also just to hear them and just to think about how can I add value? Um, have I heard the public and make sure that they that you've heard what they've said? It just yes. takes a lot of a lot. There's a lot more to it. Hearing is more, you know, you just sort of um, you've taken in what someone said, but you haven't really empathised. You haven't really used your skills, your talents, your um, your love, your compassion, okay. your empathy to, to, to relate to that person. Great, thank you, Lisa. I think hearing often comes with hearing. You know, when you, when you want okay. to, you sort of you want to hear somebody out, but you don't really want to because you have an agenda, you know, something that you want to do, something you want to do. While listening, I think it's free of that. 
Okay. Super. Um, uh, Matthew seven twelve, I think, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, do to others as you'd have them do to you. So we know what it feels like to be truly listened to. When that happens, even if it's rare, we know how that feels. So to do that for others, to do that, is a powerful, powerful expression of love, isn't it? And can bring or help to bring healing. Excellent. Okay, moving on from the listening. Thank you for the listening point. Anything else that we think we have opportunities to help people be healed or ways to help people to be healed? Any other thoughts? Stefan. Um, so praying is a way to bring Yes. Prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, right? Yeah, absolutely. Healing relationships, okay. Yeah, by helping people, by facilitating. Uh, I'm just thinking of a, my life as a disciple and even myself. The number of relationships we've helped couples, married couples, to reconcile other men. Grow relationships. Mm. Our, our own marriage relationship was healed by becoming Christians. Uh, mm. right. Parents with children brothers and sisters and friends sometimes. I think so often when someone goes through a spiritual journey and becomes a Christian, there's a lot of relational healing in that process. I mean, relationships make, I mean, I, of all the things in our lives, I don't know, maybe there's a top list of two or three things, but challenges with relationships cause maybe as much pain and, uh, as, as anything in life. Um, I was talking to a friend recently who was expressing about his own family that it was very dysfunctional, like, oh, I've got a very dysfunctional family. I said, I, I don't think I've, I've yet come across a family that isn't dysfunctional <laughs> in some way or other, right? I mean, we've all, every family's got its, its challenges. And I know what he was trying to express about some issues, but I just thought, actually, we're all there. We all, every family needs some healing in that way. Um, that's blessed to the peacemakers from the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. Blessed to the peacemakers for they should be called children of God. Mm. Mm -hmm. Super. That's powerful. Relationships. Anything else? Healing of other kinds and other ways? I think that we can do all of these things, but ultimately Jesus is the one that heals. Yeah. So yeah. it's not really for us to be the healers, although we can... By being supportive and being good listeners, we can signpost people. Mm. We're not the one that is really able to forgive um, and to empower. And <laughs> yeah, so that's important, isn't it? That that ultimately what we do helps people see Jesus more clearly. So we are the salt of the earth, we are the light of the world, we are a city on a hill, but it, it, it shines for Jesus. That's so ultimately helping people to see the reason I could maybe offer you this or support you with this is because of what Jesus has done 
for me, in me, things that he has healed in me, enable me to help you, but it's, it's Jesus is who you need. That's a very important point. Anything else or we'll move on? We can move on? All right, if you say we can move on, we'll move on. Okay, I'll take that, I'll take that. Um, I would, uh, I just like, I'd like to give you just one illustration uh, of, of perhaps how we might think about our opportunities to help people to be healed, which is to look for a niche of your own experience or skills to see if that can be a channel. As an example, I spent a morning with Albert and Angela May from the Thames Valley Churches of Christ this last Tuesday. They came over because they wanted to compare notes as to what we've been learning in Watford with their ministry situation in Beaconsfield where they live. There's a location, a church part of Thames Valley. And so I was discussing with them what they've been learning, what we've been learning, and sharing ideas. It's a very inspiring time. Um, they're kind of semi-retired, which means that they've got a, they're devoting a day a week to, to ministry, unpaid, which is, uh, as is another couple, Kevin and Anna Law, also in Beaconsfield, who are kind of retired now. So it's really cool. They've got four men, women days a week to devote to ministry, which, you know, as we collectively get older, it's something we might want to think about. Not some, most of us at this stage with young children, maybe not, but maybe as time goes by, we could work a four-day week and something like that. That's for the future, maybe. But it was fun to spend time with them. And one of the things that they, one of the things that they have, uh, are, are working on and planning to do is in, a, in Beaconsfield, in that area, they recognize that there's a, there's a a deep hunger for help with parenting, that they know lots of families who really would love some support with, with parenting. And so they are about to go off to, I think, Wales somewhere to do a parenting training course with, I think it's Care for the Family or Caring for the Family, Rob Parsons, if you've read any of his books. It's a Christian-based thing. And then they're going to come back and run some workshops in Beaconsfield and use that as a way to hopefully help some families find some healing, but in that way, pointing people to, to, to Christianity, to, to Jesus. Whether it will work, how well it will work, is yet to be seen, because they haven't started. But I liked the way they were thinking about this. What are some of the local needs? What could we do? I mean, they would never claim that their parenting is perfect, not in the least. But they, you know, they've, they've um, learned a lot from parenting. Their son, Ben, is married to Cherie, and, and they've just had a, their first child. They live in Beaconsfield. They're members of the Thames Valley Church. Their other son, um, their other son Jamie, is married to Marie, Maria Kendall. Uh, most of us would know the Kendalls, and they're in East London with the East region there. And, and so they're thinking, well, what, what, might, what might be something we could do? What kind of niche might we find to help people with healing and point people to Jesus? And perhaps we have already got some experiences or skills or could build on those and find more to help meet a need wherever we are, whether it's at work or with our families or in our neighborhood.
And it's just something to think about. I, I, I don't know that we need to do the same thing exactly, but I think it's a good exercise to pray about, discuss together, and think about, is there something like that I could be channeling some healing through that would un end up pointing to Jesus? So I, I don't know. It's just a thought for us to think about this because Jesus had the power to heal. His followers had the power to heal. And still the Spirit has the power to heal in, very, in many and varied ways. But part of our following Jesus is about helping people finding healing in Jesus. Something for us to think about. Um, the Beatitudes, going back to those just for a moment. We're not going to go through them now. But just, again, to think about this. All of what's happening here is building towards Jesus giving, giving out these words on the mountain, which is just coming after this. And as much as Jesus' healings authenticate his teaching, I would say living this kind of lifestyle authenticates our true discipleship. Not that it's a checklist, but that a transformed life expresses these beatitudes. We'll talk more about this on Saturday, what this looks like and what it means. But when we live this, I believe we'll get opportunities to offer healing because people will want to know what it is that motivates us to live in this kind of way. Now, wrapping up, one uh, writer I read who's writing about the passage we're looking at today said this, that what Jesus was doing was he was preaching which engaged the will and disturbed the status quo. He was teaching, he was calling, engaging the life and disturbing priorities. He was teaching which he was engaging the life, uh, the mind, and disturbing preconceived ideas, and he was healing, which was engaging the needs of the people around him, disturbing the hold of the devil over creation. I rather like that summary of not just this passage, but the passage just before it. And the writer was saying that when individual Christians and when the church engages in these activities or their equivalents, then we will similarly have an impact on this world for Jesus. So this, I think, could be a good devotional exercise, is to pray through this, to ask God for opportunities to be able to preach, to call, to teach, and to heal, to disturb people's will, to disturb their life, to disturb their minds, and disturbing their needs, so that there can be victories, victories for them and victories for God. Pray to be alert to when you can engage with these. It's a prayer point more than anything else. When the church does these things, Certainly, we will be very effective. Saturday will help us. I really believe that. We're going to come to the time where we take bread and wine now, thinking about the healing that Jesus has brought us. Because in the end, we might try and go and help people, but our ability to help others is directly in proportional to our gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Let me read 1 Peter chapter 2 as a a thought going into our taking of bread and wine right now. 1 Peter chapter 2, and in verse 22, 23. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body, on the cross, 
so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray together.